enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest escapes these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. My favorite coffee. Not only that, it's mushroom coffee, which means it's mushrooms mixed with coffee. It's unbelievable taste. In addition to that, man, it's just really good for you. So you can read all about the benefits of caffeine. It's great. I actually saw a study today that showed that coffee does not, in fact, dehydrate you. Always a fan for that. That's not part of the ad. Just figured out to throw that in there. But I do want to talk about Lion's Mane with Chaga. So this is the coffee that they provide. They have a, a couple of different coffees. This is my favorite one. First of all, I feel like it just tastes as good as coffee as I've ever had in my life. You can get kind of like the pound of it, or you can just get the single servings, which are great. Like this instant coffee, you just pour the powder right into the mug, then pour the boiling water in, stir it up, and you're done. Single serve, so easy. Don't need a Keurig or anything like that. It's as easy as making tea. In fact, it's actually faster because it doesn't have to steep for a while. So I love this stuff. So first of all, chaga is the king of mushrooms. It has so many antioxidant properties. This is not a four sigmatic thing. That's been known for a very, very long time. In addition to that, lion's mane has been used by Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation. I mean, if if it helps a, a monk with meditation, then you know it's legit. Because first of all, hey man, <laughs> in my book, they probably don't even need any help. So if they feel like it helps them, then it can certainly help me. In addition to that, basically what you're going to get is a 30-day money-back guarantee if you don't like what you get. Think about that. If you don't like what you get, you get your money back. So what's the problem? There are no issues. You can try this as much as you like. You're going to love it. If not for you know my benefit and you know that I'm telling you the truth, you can try it yourself. If you're not a big fan, send it back unconditional money back guarantee and you will be good to go just to go just go to foursigmatic.com that's f-o-u-r-s-i-g-m-a-t-i-c.com forward slash rambling runner or just use code rambling runner at checkout to save 15 percent. today's episode is with mark quinones man talk about an inspirational guy this guy just crushed it. He's one of the best chefs in the country. He's been on Top Chef. He's been on Cutthroat Kitchen. He's been chronicled by Forbes magazine. He's been in countless other magazines as well. He's won New Mexico Chef of the Year. He's been executive chef at a couple of different places. This guy is a legit chef. With that said, that chef life is a hard one, and it's not usually the healthiest one. You're on your feet all the time. Obviously, you're around food. It can be very stressful, in fact. And Mark was at a point a few years ago where he was living a very unhealthy lifestyle. As you'll hear in this episode, he turned it around and went from someone who didn't exercise basically at all and certainly didn't run to now the guy's putting in like 100-mile weeks on top of having kids, on top of having a very stressful job uh, during which he's on his feet all the time anyway. It's just a lot. But he's able to do it, and as you'll hear in this episode, man, this guy is just just full of fire, full of energy, and he's overcome a lot in his life, and you're going to see why. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Mark Quinones. Mark Quinones, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. This is is big for me. This is a, a privilege and a blessing, and I'm thankful, and I don't feel worthy, so... Thank you. 
Oh, man, well, I'll tell you what. By the end of this, people will be much more excited to hear your voice than mine. Of that, I have no doubts. But before we, we dive into this fully, you know, we're in the, the throes of the summer months. You know, people are running in, you know, in, in crazy temperatures all over the country. You're down in New Mexico. I got to assume it's hotter there than it is where I'm living. So tell me currently, what is the normal state and temperature that you go through in these crazy mile weeks that you're currently doing? It's been anywhere from, you know, on a really, really good day, 85 to 88 degrees uh, on a great day. Typically, it's been about, you know, 90, I mean, up to 101, 102. It's been absolutely hot. And I'm in Albuquerque. Albuquerque is in New Mexico, high desert. And the base elevation here is about 5,200 feet. Um, if I go to the foothills, I'm at, I'm at about 6,100 feet. Um, so it's very dry, very dry heat, um, and brutal. I mean, I've, I've gone through about five cans of, uh, 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 sunscreen all summer long because, you know, that keeps me going because if not, I mean, I gotta be at least, and I'm dark as it is. So I was going to say, Mark, I don't think the sunscreen's working. I've seen your Instagram (laughs) photos and I don't think it's having too much of an effect. (laughs) I know. I'm just... At this point now, I'm I'm like charcoal. It's unbelievable, but I'm <laughs> but I've adapted. So if I'm ever able to run at anything below seventy degrees, I think I'm going to be. Uh, I might do well because, uh, I mean, it's been hot. I mean, very very hot. Even at four o'clock in the morning, I mean, it's hot. It's it's, it's unbelievable. So five thousand feet, and then obviously, if you go up the foothills, like you said, closer to six thousand feet, that's pretty much where elevation starts to have a metabolic uh, effect and can really change things for you do you notice a difference if you happen to go to sea level uh compared to where you are now oh absolutely um you know i for example i ran the houston half marathon in january and this is before this massive cycle that i've been in now and um prior to that you know i i was never able to to hold anything below like a 740 735 pace past a 10k distance i go down to houston and my I ran 705 blended and mile 13 was 650 and the final surge, which was a a long point three or four was at 537 per mile. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe how easy it felt. Like I was going, damn it. Why did I not run faster earlier in the half marathon? And cause I had no idea that I'd have that kind of, uh, uh, whatever you call it, fitness or, uh, adaptation to the, the sea level environment, but I ran and I felt like I was barely moving. Um, and when I, when I, I finally began to run at, at about the, the mile 10 marker, I go, okay, send it, go ahead and go. Now you have this. Um, but had I gone done that earlier, man, you know, who knows what I would have ran because, uh, it, it, it was beautiful, you know, and, and I have to imagine that it's because I run, you know, here in Albuquerque. So I'm really eager to see how I do next time because, uh, I mean, I really feel like I wasn't half the runner that I am today, seven months ago. I've heard a lot of people describe that adaptation, and they've, a lot of people put it differently. And I'm sure that it affects individual people differently, just based on their physiology and genetics and things like that. But one of the thing, one of the ways people describe have described it that has kind of remained with me was that they described it in terms of. You don't necessarily notice it early in the race. It was kind of like when you would expect to hit some sort of barrier 
or where you expect to start fatiguing, if you push past that point, all of a sudden you had a certain energy level that you had never had in the past. And that was kind of like getting to that point is when it really opened up. How would you describe uh, that adaptation for you? Well, so I get there and I'm warming up and I'm doing my strides and I'm, I'm, I'm going down like maybe it's the Garmin or what, but like I'm reading like 530 per mile, 550 per mile, and I'm just doing strides. I'm going, that feels like, like it feels really like I'm going really slow. So, you know, being very respectful of, of, of the distance, I go, I'm going to go out at 730 and see how that feels. Because I, I always try to go out and run very responsible um, and, and mindful of that, you know, anything can happen and nothing is guaranteed. So I go out at 730 for mile one and I go, there's no way like that, that felt like a 10 minute mile. So immediately I dropped down to like 710 and I pretty much held it there until that final uh, 5k when I, when I dropped it down and, you know, I just wish I had the, um, I did it earlier. You know, I, I was afraid, you know, I'm a very, uh, you know, I, I tend to run scared because I don't, I'm so new at this and I'm so humbled by it. And I just have such profound respect for running and what it means that I, I don't go out there and just start running crazy. Like I, I would never, I'd be irresponsible. Um, and that's not the way that I've been trained right now. So um, I tend to always be more conservative and I'm learning how to let go a little bit, but it, it's almost like magical. You know how when you go down to sea level from elevation, it's almost like you just have like a turbo. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. Like for me, I would ache in it to like having like a, all of a sudden you wake up and there's a turbo attached to your engine in your vehicle, and you're able to go faster with the same effort. Because um, it wasn't like I was trying to run any faster. Like in my mind, it felt like I was running in, you know, maybe 820, 830 pace range. Um, but the watch was reading, you know, 710 or lower. And you, you might know more about that or the reason why behind it than I do. But I got to tell you, it feels amazing. It just feels like you have extra oxygen and just flowing through your body. And it's just almost, I don't want to say effortless, but if you put the work in, you know, at home, this is what I will say to, to the listeners here. If, if you're, if you're at altitude and you, you put that work in and you buy that airplane ticket to, to Houston or LA or New York sea level, you're going to perform well. It even happened to me in Chicago at the marathon last October. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I, I, I ran through that distance and I never had any problems aerobically at all. Um, and let me tell you, let me tell you something here in Albuquerque, all my runs, I'm always working, you know, cause you, 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 the area here is different. You have to work and you have to really focus on your breathing technique. Um, when I ran Chicago marathon last October, I didn't have any problems breathing Houston, no problems breathing Mesa a little different. I, I, I got sick over there. It was, but that's a whole different conversation. Um, but you absolutely feel it. But I think that like anything, you can't just like not really train or not really put in the work and then fly out there and expect to like perform at a higher level. I, I think it's all relative to like, what are you doing um, day in and day out? And are you consistent? I, I think that the consistency pays off. Um, you know, if you've, if, you, if you've truly honored the commitment, um, you know, on those Wednesday mornings at five o'clock in the morning, you know, um, were you out there? You know, I, I think that's the reason why um, that really, that's the payoff at the end of the day. 
And I think just the, uh, the sea level oxygen is just a bonus. But I believe that if you didn't put the work in, um, you know, you won't really have the same results. Yeah. So you're saying I can't just take HGH and sit on the couch and wonder why I'm not getting stronger. No, you can't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are putting in not only, first of all, Let's let's kind of set the stage here for a second because you've really been building for the last four or five years, um, and you know you've also when you say at altitude, you're not going on a training camp. You've lived in Albuquerque for a large portion of your life. You lived there. You moved out there when you were a young kid, and then you moved back out uh, after working for a while in New York City is where where you returned. I was at South Bronx where you grew up, um, and then you, yeah. you worked in worked in the. the the food industry uh, in New York and specifically in Manhattan, and you're just killing it there. And I can't wait to talk to you more about that. One aspect I want to touch on now is you're up to, you know, shoot, man, you in the hundred mile weeks now. I mean, you're, you've been at 90 for a while. You're, you're putting in these huge, huge weeks, these monster runs. And yet you have a job that necessitates that you're on your feet the vast majority of the day. How do you, sync up both of these because i would have a hard enough time doing your job or running in terms of being on my feet that long you're doing both like what is that like well i mean if you want to hear the truth i'll I'll tell you the truth but i have to kind of roll the tape back to give you the truth so uh, to me like i've never had a choice um i was born uh, on the south bronx Um, my mother was 14 years old okay and this was back in uh, 1981 in uh in hunts point on the South Bronx in New York City. So um, from an early age, you know, I was, um, my mother put this phrase in my head and it's called, she says, pound the pavement. And she would always say, son, if you want to have a, a dollar in your pocket, you have to go out there, pound the pavement and get to work. And, there's, and never let anyone make you feel like there's anything wrong with making an honest dollar, whether it be working fast food, um, working as a dishwasher, um, whatever it takes, if you earn that dollar the honest way, never be ashamed of that. But you got to go out there and pound the pavement and, and, and work hard. And that, you know, that stuck with me my entire life. And to this day, you know, I, I always talk about that. I, when I'm leading my team at the restaurant, you know, I always talk about we have to earn our keep. You know, we don't want the easy way. Let's really get after it. And every single day approach it as if everything is on the line. So when I started running, which was, um, I started running three, three years ago. And it all began when one night I had gotten home. It was June 9th of uh, 2017 after a big wine dinner. And I was at the time like 60, 70 pounds heavier. Um, and I always had a big pain on the right side of my abdomen, um, and it was always, it, it would like, it would bulge. And I wasn't sure if it was an ulcer or what. And I was always scared to go to the doctor to find out what it was. Um, I never did. Um, so that night I had gotten home, it was a Friday night and I was in the bathroom and you know how you have those bedrooms that kind of go to a bathroom and it's like an open space. There's no door. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of bathroom we have upstairs. So I'm in the bathroom and I can see my wife, Lisa on the bed. And my, my youngest son journey at the time he was two years old, you know, he comes up to me and for me to pick him up. And when I go to pick him up, I had no strength. I I could barely lift him. My arms were shaking and I felt so weak, you know, and in my mind, I'm like, you know what? Like I'm, 
I'm on the, the precipice of death here. Like I'm, I'm just not good. Like I'm weak. I'm always sweating. My skin is always greasy. This is, I, I just, I absolutely hate my, I, I, I hate my body. Um, I hate how I feel and I hate this. And I made a promise, you know, I, I had an emotional breakdown that night. And, and I made a promise to my family that the next day I was going to go to the gym and that I, I would never stop. So the next day was the 10th of June, 2017. And if you look at my, my, my chef, not my chef, my running Instagram page, the very first post is me taking that picture at Planet Fitness. Um, you pay 10 bucks a month and you get to go, it's, it's called Planet Fitness. Um, anyhow, I, um, I took that picture and it's on my page right there, you know, for everybody to see it. And, and I, 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 I let everyone know, you know, I, I was so disgusted with myself. And I had read something somewhere where it's like, if you want to lose weight fast, uh, go on the treadmill and put the incline to all the way up to 15%, hang on to the top and just walk for 30 minutes. And I'll never forget this. Right when I hit 17 minutes, I began to sweat profusely. I'm, I'm talking buckets of sweat on that treadmill. And the 13 minutes from 17 to 30 was pretty much hell. And, but I would hang on the first month I lost like 15, 20 pounds just doing that. No running. And I go, wow, I like that. Now, what I hated was the fact that I had like a triple XL t-shirt. I had an old pair of like Nikes that were not running shoes. And I had these really, I just looked, I was just, I felt so humiliated on that treadmill. Like I was that guy, right? The, the, the fat guy on the treadmill hanging on to the top, just, just trying. That was me. So I feel like I can say that. And it was, I, I would always feel ashamed. And I, I see the fit guys next to me on the treadmill, just running. Uh, I mean, ladies running, I mean, way faster than I can ever dream of running. And I'm like, you know, use that as your motivation to keep going. And I would always have my, my head down cause I, I'd be embarrassed. And, um, when the weight began to come down, I began to get more confident. So I would do the goofiest shit. And <laughs> um, I'm on the treadmill and uh, I start to get froggy. So I put the speed up a little bit. And all of a sudden, I'd be, dude, I'd be hanging on to the top of the treadmill, running, but still, but still holding on to the top. And I think I ran like my first like 13-minute mile doing that, which was a big deal for me. Like, I mean... I couldn't crack 15 minutes to save my life. So, but I was hanging on to the top of the treadmill. So then I'm like, all right, I'm going to put the treadmill all the way down to zero again. And I'm going to see if I can jog like at a, like at a 13 minute pace. And I, I couldn't get past a quarter mile. So I would do that once a day and then it became a half mile. And then I remember when I hit my first mile, oh man, I loved it. So fast forward the clock a couple of months till September of 2017 and I was up for um, New Mexico Chef of the Year. So Lisa made a bet with me. She says, if you win Chef of the Year, you have to run a 5K. I said, game on. I'll do it. You know, um, so I won. You know, uh, that God was great. Big blessing that way. Um, and I, I won Chef of the Year 2017. And I ended up signing up for a 5K at the Duke City Marathon which a year later I made my marathon debut at, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, 
and we go to the 5K. And I got to tell you, man, I, uh, to this day, the addiction, that final point one coming down the, the final shoot there, I'll never forget what I felt and what I saw. Let me tell you what I felt and what I saw. What I saw was I saw people next to me running. And that moment to me, every time I think of it and I visit it, it's in slow motion. All I saw was tall people, short, fat, skinny, didn't matter. Kids, grandmas, grandpas. But what I felt was I felt a sense of pride and dignity like I never felt in my life before. Not winning awards, not not cooking on Food Network, none of that stuff. What I felt in my body brought me to immediate emotion. And I'll never forget that. We crossed that finish line and I said, let's do it again. The next weekend, we did another 5K. At that point, it was game on. Um, I just loved it. I didn't know what I was doing. Let's get that straight, okay? I didn't know what I was doing, but I loved the idea of running and that feeling of like, oh, man, this is, I finished. So I, I did like a half marathon at the Run for the Zoo uh, the subsequent May of 18. And that October, I, I, I ran my first marathon, uh, the Duke City Marathon, October of 2018. And uh, no coach, no nothing, no affiliation, nothing. Just I showed up, man. <laughs> And uh, oh my God, I, I, I blew up something fierce, okay? I mean, it, it was horrible. But my finishing time, uh, in retrospect, wasn't that bad. It was four hours and 46 minutes. And at the time, you know, my silly self, I go, I'm going to go out with the four-hour pace group. Why did I think that? I don't know, okay? I have no idea. But in my mind, I'm going to break four hours in the marathon my first time out. Yeah, that didn't happen. I got to like mile 14, began to suffer. Mile 17, I'm on the floor. I'm on the floor with a cramp that ran from my calf all the way up to like, like my butt. And oh, it, it literally put, put me on the floor. So I, I, I'm up. I, I, I see a porta potty like, you know, 40 yards away. I, I hobble in there. I'm sitting there losing my mind. And, and you have to understand, my, my wife and kids are like, a few miles away waiting for me. They were like following me all over the city. Oh, I felt so bad. They were supporting me. And, and, and again, like my, my stupid ass wakes up and I think I'm going to run a four hour marathon, you know? And I, I couldn't believe that, that I, I, I was so naive to go out with the four hour pace group and, um, and just suffer. And I remember I got to like mile, it was about mile 18, 19. I see Lisa and the boys and they gave me some, uh, um, some treats to, to keep me going, some candy or something like that. And, uh, and like, she knew I didn't had it and I knew that she knew, and I, I was trying so hard to fight back my tears. And, um, I'm like, just go to the finish and wait for me there. Cause this is going to be tough. Yeah. I mean, when, when a marathon goes bad, it can be emotional. I've had those moments as well. Oh my, I mean, emotional to say the least. I mean, it is just, it breaks you. And I feel like the pain you feel physically doesn't compare to what you're feeling in your heart. You know, um, and man, it just broke me. Um, but I, but I, I anyway, so I, I, I did the, the, the jog of shame, you know, and I, I crossed the line of 446 and it was my first marathon. And I, I found out that I guess it, it was a pretty average time. So it wasn't like horrible. Um, 
And so we went home and I had the medal and I go upstairs and I threw my medal on the floor and I, I went up to my bathroom and I, I was sobbing like a baby for like, probably for like an hour. And the reason why was because I felt like I could do better. You know, I'm like, I'm better than that. Let me ask you about that, because when you got into this, it was purely about you, you looked in the mirror. You didn't like what you saw. You, you your, your body was breaking down. You just weren't you didn't have the strength of a man that you knew you could be. Yet here you are. You had just run a marathon. You'd completely reversed course from a health perspective. When did your goals associated with running cease to be about just becoming a more physically fit and strong person and start to become achievement-based within the sport? You know, I don't know, you know, um, because it was, I, I didn't have a coach or, you know, or I, I wasn't with a group or anything like that at that time. And um, I just had this idea that I can break four hours in the marathon. And I'm like that. Like, I, I tend to like, these things pop in my head and I, I, I latch onto them, you know? So for me, it was like, no, you need to be able to run a, a sub four-hour marathon. And like, I was just attached to that idea. Why? I honestly don't really know. M maybe, maybe I just saw like, that was like the first like benchmark for quote unquote real runners or whatever. And, you know, I was kind of running quite a bit at that point, really getting into it. And I loved the excitement of it. Um, but I felt like I was, I was investing a lot of my time into it and it was becoming a passion. Like I really enjoyed the idea of running. And if you know anything about me, when I set a goal, no matter where it comes from, when I have it in my mind that I want to do something, I will not stop until I get there. And every step of the way there, like whether whether I win on the way there or lose on the way there, like I'm very emotional about every step of the process. Um, so I say, you know, whether I fail, you know, uh, in a in a half marathon time trial, you know, like I'm the kind of guy where like I will, I mean, I'll cry tears over it. Like I'm just like that. Um, and for so many years, I was always... Uh, um, afraid to show that side of myself. But when I, when I got into running, something changed in my brain where I said, I said, it's okay. Just, just be real, be authentic. Like if you know, don't be ashamed about crying if it hurts your heart. And that's how I knew it was a real passion because I hurt my heart. And you would think that we'd be celebrating. I just ran my first marathon, 446, a decent time. No, all I could think about was I'm better than that. So what do I do? I registered that day for the Philadelphia Marathon four weeks later. <laughs> and we booked the flight, you know, and I, 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 that's just how I am. I, I do four things Four weeks like, later. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, yeah. And you, this, this is only, you know, a little over a year from when you started running. Exactly. Yes. You know, because I ran the 5K at Duke City Marathon the year before. So this, this is a year to the date. And in between then, I had done a couple of 10Ks, uh, um, you know, 5Ks, a couple of half marathons. And, and I found out that New Mexico has the absolute, in my opinion, most beautiful running community anywhere in the world. And I'll get into that here in a little bit, you know. Um, but I have met the most amazing, just gracious individuals that entered my life um, through, I believe it was just divine intervention. Like I was supposed to meet these people and they were supposed to meet me. So, um you know, I just really feel excited about it. And it became a real passion that's in my bones. Now, let me ask you a question, because as a professional, you went from like 
the bottom of the food industry. Again, you've talked on another podcast uh, with Mark Bottenhorn, uh, which was a really good show. And Mark's been on this on this uh, podcast before about how you started the bottom within the um, you know, the culinary world. You even thought about attending CIA, Culinary Institute of America, up in Poughkeepsie, New York. Decided against it with the help of a mentor, and then now you're at the point where you're on. You know, you're you were chronicled in Forbes. You've been on TV before. You've been chronicled in all these other places. You're the best chef in New Mexico. Yeah, I think it's what two times running. You're you're doing all of these amazing things in your professional life, and you've done it with this relentlessness every step of the way. Have have you kind of taken that same approach with your running? Absolutely. You know, um, and I'll get back to what happened to Philly because um, at that point it kind of all comes together, but. I'll go back further for you a little bit more. Um, yeah, you know, when I started cooking, I, I actually started cooking when I was 14 here in Albuquerque. You know, we, we had moved out here when I was 14 because I, my, my, I had a grandfather who was terminally ill, okay? And we moved here in the summer of 1994, and he, uh, he passed away uh, in January of 95. He was really young, 48 years old. Um, it was absolutely traumatic. I mean, it really was. It was devastating to me. Um, but I, uh, I started working at Wendy's old fashioned hamburgers. And, um, when I graduated high school, I, again, like in typical Mark fashion, I, I, I spent $37 for a Greyhound bus ticket. And I, and I, against my, against my mother's wishes, many people's wishes, I, I got on that bus and I went to New York. I went back to New York. Um, I stood with a cousin, um, a lot of things happened that I don't think I have to get into right now. Uh, but long story short, you know, I, I I spent many, many nights walking around all over Manhattan. And, you know, I the job that I had, it wasn't extravagant at the time. It was literally for uh, a temp agency. So I would I would wake up in the Bronx and about, you know, 3.34 and I catch the subway into the city. And I'd, I'd go to the agency and they'd give me a little green piece of paper and they sent me into a restaurant somewhere uh, in Manhattan, uh, sometimes over the river in Jersey City, um, you name it. I, I must have been in hundreds of kitchens. Um, and I, I was as a dishwasher. Okay, it, it wasn't. I wasn't even cooking. I was at that time. I was dishwashing. And then it became uh, prep cook. Okay, now you can do prep work, and then now you can make salads on the line. And you know, I, I kind of did it that way, the, the long, hard road. And I didn't have a choice though. So when I ended up going to college to, to, be, to get my, my you know, real paperwork as an executive chef and get my degree, it was at Le Cordon Bleu in Scottsdale, Arizona. And that was only, I think you mentioned that I, I had one of my chef mentors, his, his name was Mohammed. He told me, you know, if your mother's in Albuquerque, you know, there's Le Cordon Bleu, literally a, a, a seven hour drive away in Arizona where you'll take your New York experience here and you'll, you'll, you'll learn classic French cuisine in a Southwest environment. You're kind of getting three for one. And at that point, you know, I was, I was telling you, you know, I was a really good cook at that point. This is a couple of years down the road. I'm cooking really well. I have some fundamentals down and long story short, I ended up graduating La Cordon Bleu top of my class with a 4.0 GPA um, very proud of that. You know, it's a testament to my mother, right? Upon the pavement and whatever you do, you go all in, Mark, you go all in and, and, and you embrace every step of the way. Um, 
You know, whether you have a bad day and you failed or you passed, you, you embrace those emotions. That's just the way that I was raised. So back to running, I just, I was hell-bent on beating that performance. You know, I, I wanted to finish the marathon and feel good about myself. So about a week before the marathon, um, I crossed paths with, with um, a woman named Arlene Armijo, and she is the, the wife of Jesse Armijo, and uh, Jesse is the leader of the Dukes Track Club here in New Mexico. Um, and he, you know, he's, I mean, he, he, he ran the Olympic trials in 2012. I mean, this guy's unbelievable. Jesse Armijo, I want to stress his name because he's a very important uh, figure in my life uh, uh, currently and in this process. Um, him and Shauna Beta. Anyhow, she had given Jesse a little gift for me. She said, hey, my, my husband will be there on the plane. He's running, he's running fully too. Do you want to maybe meet up and take a picture or something like that? I go, that'd be amazing. Like you, you guys are the Dukes. It'd be an honor. You know, um, I don't feel like I belong, but sure. You know, so I meet Jesse, not even on the first flight. I, we actually met for the first time in Chicago on our layover. And we're waiting for the flight over to Philly and he pulls his backpack out and he gives me, I'll never forget this. He gives me um, a Duke's track club t-shirt, uh, a, a Duke's track club mug and a card that his wife Arlene had wrote, just wishing me well and saying that she was proud of my effort. And uh, it, man, it, it, it touched my heart in such a profound way because I'm like, if you know anything about the Dukes, they are, they are who they are. They're elite runners. Like they're, they travel the world and they compete at a high level. And yeah, for whatever reason, they made me feel like I was worth even like talking to. And that was a big deal for me. Um, cause I had so much respect for them. And so on the plane ride from Chicago over to Philly, you know, Jesse gave me a couple of tips, you know, and whatnot. And long story short, I, four weeks later after Duke city, I, I had a 20 minute PR in the marathon, 446 to 426. And I finished with dignity and my hands in the air. Once again, that's also on my page. I talk in great detail about it. And um, I felt so good. And when I got back, it was for, in my mind, it's all, it was all about, and I talked about it a lot on Instagram. It was hashtag project sub four. I was going to figure out how to break four hours in the marathon. And Let me ask you a question. When you when yeah. you finished that race, what was the key reason or reasons why you felt so much better about that performance than the one that had occurred a month earlier? Well, in that month between the two marathons, I you know I did some more research and uh, you know I found out that four forty six was actually not well. You know what? Let me let me let me clarify something real quick here. It doesn't matter if you run seven hours or, 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 or you're Kipchoge and you run 159. If you dare to toe that line and you, and, and you, you cross that finish line, it is the most, you, you are an amazing, amazing individual. Amazing. So I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, like your time defines you. No, 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 no. I, um, I, I absolutely bow down to anybody who even has the courage to try. Um, I'm just kind of weird and I have major issues where like, I, I, I tend to create these arbitrary goals in my mind that I have to achieve. That's just me. Um, but by no means, I think, I think a lot of us, you know, have those kinds of goals in various aspects of our life. You know, I think arbitrary is a great way of putting it. 
Right. And, and what I found, and more so even like on the chef side of things, I think sometimes people are, they feel like maybe apprehensive or afraid to speak about those goals in fear of failure. Um, and, you know, I, I'm here to say like, you know, don't be afraid to talk about your goals, like put it out there, you know, um, set that goal. And, you know, if your goal is to run five hours and you run five ten, you know, um, it's okay to absolutely feel what you feel in that moment. But the next day, get your ass up and get back to work and go towards 459. You know, um, so long as you keep going, you're going to get there. You're going to, it's going to happen just like it happened for me, which, which I'm going to get to here in a second. Um, so I, I get back and I, I was so blown away that I, I had got a text message from, from, from Jesse saying, Hey, like, you know, how do you feel? How's your recovery going? Um, do you want to come, maybe come for a run with us? And I'm like, Oh yeah, maybe. But in my mind, I'm like, no way in hell I'm going to go meet you guys. You guys are the Dukes. I'm, I'm not. I don't, I don't, I don't even belong anywhere near you guys. Like, so I, I kind of avoided the invite for a little bit. Um, just out of, I just didn't feel like I belonged, you know, and it was just my own insecurities. Right. Um, so I, I actually entered the, the Mesa Phoenix marathon three months later in February of 2019. And the goal was very, it was, it was singular. I'm going to break four hours in the marathon. And holy shit, I broke four hours in that marathon. I, I ran 355. Oh my gosh. You, you cut you cut 50 minutes off your marathon in what in five months. Yes. After starting running a year before that. Yes. And um, but I ran a lot that cycle. I remember like it was it was snowy. It was I, I'd go out there and hit my long runs and and, and sometimes it would take me, I'd have to stop my I'm sure if you're a runner. And you're like me, an average runner, because that's all I am. I'm just an average runner. You know what it's like to go out there on a long run, and you're going to go, I'm going to run 20 miles today. And you know, you stop your watch a thousand times, and you're like, you ran 20 miles, and maybe your, maybe your moving time was like whatever it was, but your elapsed time is like an hour longer than that because you kept stopping because you couldn't breathe, you had to stretch, you had to use the bathroom. I mean, maybe it's just me. But the truth is, on all my long runs, I'd blow up. I would blow up on every single long run. Why? I didn't know what I was doing, but I was out there. And here I am, like, you know, like, I have the best of the best saying, hey, come, come run with us. You know, we can give you some tips. And I'm avoiding it out of my own fear, yet I'm out there, you know, just putting myself through so much pain. Um, and yeah, I, 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 but in there for a second, because that's interesting because you had gone through this experience as a chef where you were, you know, not someone with a traditional background. And then all of a sudden at the top of your field, why do you think that getting over that imposter syndrome in your professional life didn't immediately lend itself to getting over the imposter syndrome in your athletic life? Ah, oh, man, I just feel, um, I mean, to, to kind of maybe get a little bit deeper on you, I, I think it just goes back to, um, I just think back to my mother's struggles, man, and uh, how I just have this thing in my head where, you know, even if someone's telling you right now, I'm going to give you a helping hand, and you have that option today, but right next to that is, is the road that's going to probably be more darker and more difficult and going to cause you more pain. I always tend to pick that road organically. And the reason why is because in my life, 
I've only had success when I've gone through a lot of pain, whether it be emotionally, physically, you know, I mean, you name it. And the reward has always been much more sweeter for me when I feel like I really went through the gauntlet to get there. So in my mind, I'm like, look, if I'm going to ever go around those guys and girls and they're amazing, I'm going to feel in my heart like I, I at least have worked my way where there's a good amount of body of work to look at, say, hey, like, I, I've earned the right to be here to learn from them. And in my mind, I just wasn't there yet. I had to figure some things out on my own. And I think what I had to figure out was, am I in this for the right reasons? You know, um, is this going to be, is this a lo- an end game thing for me, right? Am I in it for the long haul? And even though I, I, I knew it was a passion and I loved it, I was still, like you said, only a year plus into it. So I had to have a conviction in me that I knew no matter what happens, whether I, whether I succeed or fail, that I'm never going to let go. And I'm going to commit to the process of the long haul. And that happened. And when it happened, I ended up joining them. And I'll tell you about that in a second. But it, I, had to, I had to have that conviction in my heart um, that, my, that my reasons were, were, um, were aligned properly. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So I've probably misstated it by calling imposter syndrome. That was just me, you know, assuming something. I like what you said. Uh, I think that really illustrates the point. And I think a lot of people can, you know, can experience that. It's also one of those things where, you know, you've taken a positive out of that struggle, kind of showing that the, the struggle in of itself isn't positive or negative. It's kind of what you do with that situation that makes it so. Absolutely. 100%. And, um, it's just, you have to really, especially in something like the marathon, you know, you, you have to really, really, um, you have to have this thing inside of you that like, you know, I, I think you, 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 you almost have to have like some issues, like to even like commit to this thing long term, because it's so hard. I mean, it is, I mean, the, my path as a chef was and continues to be very hard, right? It's difficult, especially now as a leader and being responsible for the livelihood of so many people on my staff and, uh, you know, individuals who, and people who I mentor, like that's a great responsibility that I do not take for granted, but running, like, I mean, like running where, where you're, uh, uh, you know, at the point where you're, you're running seven consecutive 100 plus mile weeks. And before that you're running 80 to 90 for two months straight. And it's, what I've learned this particular year is uh, you'll, you'll find out a lot about yourself and you'll find out, you know, uh, your real reason for the why um, if you really commit to voluntarily walking in that pain shed, you know, knowing that it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt you for a long time um, and learning how to endure through that. Um, so when I went to Mesa, um, it was... Like I was telling you, I, I, I had not completed a single long run that I didn't blow up on. I would finish them, but it would take me forever. And I just, yeah, I, once again, I went out with the four-hour pace group and I never saw them again. You know, I, I ended up running 355 and I, I crossed the finish line and, and uh, you know, Lisa raced me and we had a great emotional moment together. Um, and she was like, I'm so proud of you. You know, like you did so good. Like you know, like you ran with this conviction and like, and I, I go, yeah, I know, you know, and uh, that's when I learned, like, you know, when you're, you know, when you're deep in the marathon and, and you're approaching mile 20 
And you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's life-changing. And I figured out, I said, when I get there, it's game on mentally. I'm going to put myself in a very dark spot and I'm going to embrace every painful moment of my life. And I'm going to think about them in great detail, that last 10K. I don't want to tell you what those details are. I don't think that's relevant, um, but they're dark. And let me tell you, it carried me through, finished, hands in the air. Um, and then when I came back, that's when I, you know, I, 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 I met, when I met up with the Dukes track club for the first time, and uh, I met, I met my, my running mentor, Sean Abeda, who um, is, is an absolute insane uh, uh, mountain runner, uh, runner in general, but his specialty really is in the mountains. And uh, he's just absolutely phenomenal. And he's one of the few men I've come across in my life who he just, I feel like he, he, he can read me like a book. And he has no problem stopping me in my tracks and correcting me and basically telling me how the cow eats the cabbage. Like, this is how it's going to go. This is what I expect for you to do. This is the workout, you know? And like, I just really respect that about him, you know? Um, Cause not, not many people talk to me like that, you know? And it's not, he's very respectful. It's, it's a positive thing. Um, but I feel like this guy really just, for whatever reason, you know, God put him in my life to where like, you know, this, this individual understands me as an individual and, and, and we connect and he allows me to be who I am. Yet he has a way of giving things to me in a way that I just receive it. And, and I understand that he's right and that he means no harm. And it makes me so much better. Let me ask you a question, Mark, because you hinted at something before, uh, and we're not going to get into specifics here, but but so many elite athletes, especially in the endurance realm, you know, you know whether it's running or or biking or triathlon or, or things or, or even swimming uh, along those lines, oftentimes you'll see that the best of the best uh, at some point in their lives have overcome some sort of trauma, especially in their younger lives. And have kind of come out the other side and are now using that on some level to fuel them in their efforts, whether it's, you know, in, in, in some way or another. In your particular life, again, not getting into specifics, I know you don't want to go there, but do you feel like it fuels you in more of like getting through like those uncomfortable hard moments? Is it, you know, achieving a goal? Is it, you know, raising or is it you know, proving people wrong? Is it more introspective? Like, what? What are the? How does it manifest itself in you that kinds of puts fuel into your fire? Um, uh, thank you for that, and I, I definitely am I'm working my way to- towards I think that point. Um, I'm a father of three boys. Um, not having a father in my life, and but having a mother who was so young, right? Who's figuring out just how to survive the day, how to make sure that we're fed and nourished, you know, and I mean, put it this way, right? I'm five years old. My mother's 19. I'm six. She's 20, right? Think about that. Process that. And to see how she, no matter what, no matter what, would wake up and get out there and, and, you know, go to school, go to work, take care, take care 
I mean, just take care of us. It, like, I don't need any more inspiration than that. Like, that's enough. Like, like, like that for me, it's like, like, it's like, no, like, mom, I can't let you down. Like, you didn't do all that for me to, for, for me to grow up and, 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 and just be soft. You know, like, no, like, no, absolutely not. That would disrespect my mother, where we come from, our people, my children who I'm raising to be resilient, to be, to be hard work, to be men of great character and how to, and how to understand that hate never wins. Love is what always wins in the end, not hate. And how just because you're angry, mad and frustrated, that doesn't associate with hate. That can associate with love. If you're, if you're, if your reason why is profound enough, that's love. And so there was just many times, you know, during the struggle and, you know, she would say things to me that, you know, sayings to me like, you know, pound that pavement, you know, don't be afraid to fall down and get back up again. Um, you know, schooling, education is what matters. And, and, and just that no matter what's, no matter how hard the day may seem, you know, it might require you to, you know, to walk to work, to take the, take the city bus to where you got to get to. And I've been through all of that, all of that, you know, um, it's just molded me into who I am and how I want to raise my children. Um, and I want to be what I felt, you know, I, 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 I never knew, you know, and, and that's a man who can leave a legacy for his children and his family name um, that is eternal. Okay. Does that, does that answer the question better? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, it's one of those things where I remember at one point it was at least on the men's side of the sports world. At one point it was like every major champion in all of those sports that I mentioned all had, had, you know, significant, issues with a you know with a father figure early in their life and that that on some level had been part of the fuel that had you know lit the fire in them again not to say that that's a desirable a desirable thing for someone to have you know because there's so many people who don't have support when they're young and you know it affects them negatively throughout their life and some people are are, are lucky enough to be in a situation where they're able to make the most of that unfortunate circumstance and ultimately you know, turn it into a positive in their life and seeing what you've been able to accomplish professionally as well as athletically certainly falls into that realm. You know, you've already achieved so much, you know, as you've already talked about, what are some of the things that are driving you now from a running perspective? I'm so happy you asked that because I'm actually going to, I haven't said anything publicly until today. Um, there's a reason why I've been running so much, a specific reason why. Um, which I'm, I'll get to here in a second, but I kind of feel just to be fair, I want to tie in my my last two marathons because after Mesa, there was Chicago and then there was Mesa again, which was a big setback for me. So if, if I can just really, really quickly just kind of touch on those really fast, because I think it'll really, that will take us to where I'm at today and why I'm here today. Let's do it. So my 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 half marathon PR after Mesa was 153. And all I wanted to do, last, this is a year ago, Basically, a year ago, yesterday, I think it was August 12th of last year, I really wanted to break 150 in the half marathon. And so I had met Sean, you know, at one of the Dukes, the Dukes runs, and he's like, I'll pace you. I go, great, cool. So that morning, you know, we're in line, you know, we told the line, and he's like, all right, this is, what, this is how it's going to go. 
You're not going to look at your watch and we're just going to have a conversation. He's like, he's like, you want to break 150, right? I go, yeah. He goes, okay, great. So we take off and, you know, and for him, you know, that's nothing more than a warm up. So, <laughs> you know, we, we, we take, I think a 755 pace or something like that, seven, eight, eight minute pace. And next thing you know, we're approaching mile 10 and he's like, all right, pick it up. And I'm starting to feel the pain. And he's like, pick it up. He's like, you're going to be so happy when we cross the finish line. And we get there and I see that I, I see it. And it's just like, it was one, it was 144, like the line. And I ran as fast as I could. And, and again, you see on my Instagram, there's a picture of me crossing the line. And I, I, I laugh at myself because I was like, I'm so into it. Like my hands are in the air. And you would think that I just qualified for Boston or something like that. Like it was that big of a moment for me. And that's the point that I want to make. It doesn't matter if it's seven hours or whatever it is. Like you have to embrace every time you, you hit that personal goal, you embrace it. So I crossed it. It was like, it was 144, something like that. And I was happy because 44 is my wife's favorite number. And I would have been just as happy running 149. But this amazing man paced me to 144. And like, I, I had no idea I had that ability to do that. Two months later, I run Chicago and the Chicago Marathon, my first world major marathon in October of last year, not even a year ago, less than a year ago today. The goal was, okay, I ran 355 in Mesa. I'm going to try to break 345 in Chicago. Well, I ran 339, another nice PR in the marathon distance. Um, And it would have been better, but let me tell you what happened. Right around mile 14 or 15, I, I saw Lisa and I was feeling so good aerobically. Everything was great. I, I, got, I got a little cocky and I, my, my pace was like 8.25, 8.30. I dropped it to like 7.45, way too fast. And I had a massive hamstring cramp. And you know, when you're running in the marathon, you, if you run a marathon, you know what I'm talking about. You get that cramp and you almost feel like, you just know it's going to last for a couple of miles at least. And the choice is yours. You keep going or you stop, you go to the medical tent, you roll it out and get back on the course. I, I was galloping like a horse with, with like one leg straight and one leg. I was just, I wasn't going to stop. I wasn't <laughs> going to stop. Uh, and uh, I didn't stop. And at mile 26, I see the 340 pace group and I go, oh, no, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. And I, 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 I surged ahead and it was 339.50. Oh, I was so happy. I was so happy. But what sucked is that in Chicago in the marathon, when you're finished, you have to walk like two miles to find your family. It's insane. I don't understand that. So there's no, there's no family there. You, you got to like walk through the park and then you see him like an hour later. But I, I see Lisa, we're celebrating. And I ended up that January going to Houston where I met Mark Bottenhorn and, you know, Pat Cutter and all those monsters, Crispy Creams, Chris, I mean, you know, the best of the best out there. And we all bonded together. You know, we had multiple meals together, you know, um, and we had a great time just, just kind of hanging out and um, talking about everybody's goals. I I'm running the half marathon. I'm just out there. I didn't really have a goal that day. You know, um, it, was my, it was my last tune-up before my marathon in Mesa, which was a disaster. I'm going to get to that in a second. Um, but I ran 134 in Houston and 
I, I went out super conservative. I go, I'm going to go out at 730, see how that feels. And that first mile, every fiber in my body said, no, 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 no. That's way too slow today. Drop the pace now. So I go to like 710, too easy. Long story short, at mile, at mile 13, I finally really start running. I run like a 650 mile and I, I, I run the last, like, it was a long stretch. At the, it was like a 0.4 finish. And it was like, I ran it like at a 540 pace and I ran 134 and I felt so amazing. I'm like, this is it. I'm going to crush it when I return to Mesa. I've ran the course before. I know the profile. I know every turn. And my goal is to break 320 in Mesa. That didn't happen. That did not happen. I, the week of the marathon, um, that Monday, I woke up and I was so sick, um, beyond belief. And it was, I had major congestion. Um, and I, all week long, I felt like I had fluid in my lungs. I was like, I was like gurgling. It was absolutely bizarre. Um, and I, I knew I, I was the, the, the day before I'm like, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to do it. And I'm like, nah, nah, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. So I, I took off already knowing I wasn't going to get there, but I was blown away that I got all the way to mile 19 on pace, 738. The tracking would have me coming in at 318 something. And I completely collapsed. You look at my splits. It's, it, it's 738 all across the board. And all of a sudden you see 13 minutes, 12 minutes. I fell on the floor and there's Lisa, my children, they're like freaking out. They're trying to help me get off the floor. Here comes one of the cops who's doing security. And I, in, in my mind, they were going to yank me off the course. So I began to like speed walk and jog. So Lisa ran a couple of miles with me. And um, at the end of the day, you know, towards the end there, I was so sick. And in my mind, because the marathon would do this to you. It, it can really mess with your head. So I thought I might die. I was so pale. Look at the pictures on IG. It's insane. I'm, I, I'm white as a fish and my skin is dark. So I'm white. I'm pale white. And you'll see me. I'm holding two rings in my hand. One says truth. One says journey. My two youngest. Truth is nine. Journey is five. And I had their rings in my, in my hand close to my chest. And you see me. It's on the post when you scroll to the pictures. And I'm just, you can see, you can just see me. I'm just a, I'm a broken man. I crossed the line in 3.53. Um, so it was a 14 minute setback. However, it was a course PR by two minutes. But when I, when I crossed the mat, I collapsed again. And, 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 and they carried me away on one of those little stretcher things into the medical tent where I was at oxygen for over an hour. And they were like, we don't know how you did that. Like your, your oxygen is way too low. Like, they were really worried about me. And um, a month later, you know, COVID comes out. And right away, I said, babe, like I had all those symptoms. Now, I'm not saying I had COVID. That's not what I'm saying. But it would, even now, as I say it, every hair on my body stands up because I had every symptom in the book. The, the uh, water in my lung type feeling. I mean, that fire, it, it was, and it was, it, it was horrible. And it was, it lasted the week before and the week after the marathon. I was really, really sick and, um, just devastated, truly devastated. Um, you know, my son truth, 
you know, he and he's really into running right now as well. He, he loves it. You know, they let him in the medical tent and, you know, he's embracing me and we're crying together. And he's like, you okay? I'm so scared. And I'm like, I said, son, I said, you know, I, I told him, I said, this was for you to show you that you never give up and you must finish what you start. And uh, so I came back and, uh, you know, COVID has absolutely wrecked havoc on my industry from a restaurant perspective. And um, I've been dealing with that. It's been very difficult. I haven't had a single day off of work since February the 10th. And that was two days after the marathon. That's the last time I was not in that building. And I even, I've worked every single day. And my first day off, and this is leading into the announcement, my first day off will be next Thursday. And do you know why it's next Thursday? No, tell me. I'm flying to South Dakota to run the marathon next weekend. Oh, nice. Now, I haven't said anything because, you know, it's, it's just, I just haven't said anything. But for whatever reason, I'm telling you right now, it, feel, it, feels, it feels okay to say this. I'm running the marathon in Spearfish, South Dakota next Sunday. I've already been tapering. That's why my miles have dropped dramatically. I know people on Strava and they say, hey, chef, you're not running. I go, oh, uh, don't worry. There's something coming. Um, I'm, I'm tapering right now. And um, I fly out next Thursday. And all my fitness and the mileage and my times and the tempo runs all points towards certain times. That's not what this is about for me. This is about correcting what happened in Mesa. So my goal, and I'm going to say it, is the goal I had in Mesa. And that's to break 320. You know, I don't have to go for anything else right now. Could I? Maybe. I don't know. Um, many people think I can. This is not the time for that. Um, I, if you know, again, if you know anything about me, it's all about checking off things on that list. And, and I don't want to jump from one step to three steps. Like I, I want to experience the second step first to where I can talk about it and say, Hey, I understand that pace. I understand that time in the marathon. You know, um, I would prefer that before going towards the ultimate. And I think you and I both know what that is, you know, qualifying for Boston. Um, that needs to wait. You know, I, I have business to take care of first. Um, and I want to get more experienced with those mid-range times before I, before I really, really, really um, go for the ultimate, which will probably be, you know, the following marathon. And, and that's where I'm at today. That's really exciting. You've put in so many miles in this, in this buildup. Uh, you certainly are ready and prepared. I'm, I'm so excited to, you know, to follow along uh, on your journey next week. Uh, with that said, you mentioned before uh, you have an Instagram account that you post a lot uh, on. We'll certainly put a link to it in the show notes. But is there uh, what if people are just listening to it now? Where can they go to find you? So for running, it's Chef MQ, Chef MQ, the runner. Um, my chef page is Chef MQ, and that's just all cooking. Um, every now and again, I'll post something about you know, maybe a, a run or, you know, on my story, you see a lot of me and my family. Um, but they're very separate because I, I just wanted my, my running journey to be about running and telling my story and, and hoping to inspire people, you know, to speak to like, again, to me, like I'm just the average guy and I want to speak to, you know, somebody who just, maybe they, maybe they want to try, or maybe they feel like, well, you know, I have bad knees or I have asthma you know, all those things and to inspire them with my story who, you know, I'm a lifelong asthmatic. 
You know, I had every excuse in the book and I just one day said enough. And I'm here to say to anybody listening, you know, if you're at home now and and you feel like you can't, yes, you can. Yes, you absolutely can. The trick, the secret for me is very simple is absolutely embrace the 15 minute mile. Learn to love it. And when you get to 14, celebrate. 13 minutes, all the way down the line, like embrace that journey and don't feel bad if you, if you feel slow, you know, don't chase the pace. The pace will always come to you. Um, just get out there and try because I promise you, I promise you, I swear to you, you can get there, you know, go, go to that gym, get on that treadmill and hang on to the top. Do that every day for a month. Get back to me. You lose a bunch of weight. Your knees will get stronger. You build some aerobic, uh, uh, aerobic capillaries, all that stuff going happening in your aerobic area. And then all of a sudden through uh, endorphin releases and just your self-confidence will improve and you will have one day the courage to go sign up for a 5k. And I'm everyone right now, please hear my voice. If you have any questions or you want to hear more about how I did it, message me. I will get back to you and I will tell you exactly how I did it. Because to me, this is all about, we're all in this together, you know, um, as a community and beyond the running community to get more people to try because I believe that running is magic and that running is a secret to a sustained life. Um, it's helped me, it's changed my life 180. And, and I just really want to represent the idea that you can really feel like you have no chance and it's not possible, but you can if you're willing to just walk out that door and try. Well, you certainly do. And you definitely personify that 100%. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much, man. God bless you. Um, it's an honor, a privilege. I don't feel worthy to be on your show. I'm a big fan of it. Um, it's humbling to me. It really humbles me. Um, cause I am, I am not elite or any of that stuff. You know, I'm very average. Um, but it's about, it's about the journey and your work ethic. You can, if you're willing to try. Get out there. Do it. Go. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. Mark was recommended to me by a consistent listener here on the Rambling Runner podcast. And I'm so glad he was. I mean, I just, you know, as he said a couple times during this episode, he thought that, you know, coming on here was like, oh, I don't belong on here. I'm just an average runner. But if people listen to this show, no, that's that's our wheelhouse. These are the kind of runners that we want. I say that because if you know a runner who would be a great fit for this show, please reach out. The best place to reach me is uh, either on social media where you can find me at Instagram and on Twitter at uh, rambling underscore runner. Or you can just shoot me an email, ramblingrunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Those are the ways to get in touch with me. Please let me know if you know of anybody who, just like Mark, would be a great fit for the show. Those are so helpful because the fact of the matter is I try to keep abreast of what's going on in the running community, but we're not having pros on here. And what's happening in the amateur running scene, it's so varied. It's so individualistic. And it's something that you can't really get a, a handle on from a national perspective. Lord knows. So where you come in is just helping me out a little bit. And I certainly appreciate it. So big ups to our sponsors. As always, Prevenex, they're always hooking it up. 
not only with Joint Health Plus, their multivitamins and other vitamins as well. You know, the multivitamin and Joint Health Plus are a staple of mine, as is their Neurofi protein powder. I have that as my snack every single day, either right after a morning run, if I run in the mornings, or as my mid-morning snack. I go to that. That's my go-to move. Not only is it substantial, but it also tastes good. It also has a little sweetness to it. And I have a certified sweet tooth. So you know that always helps out. And Four Sigmatic, my number one coffee. I love this stuff. Um, I especially like the little single serving packs. I talked about it in the intro. I love those things. Just boiled water, put the little pack into the, uh, into, you know, just gonna pour the, the powder into the cup, add the water, stir it up, and you're good to go. And I drink it black. And I usually don't drink coffee black, but I always have this black because it just tastes so darn good. So thank you so much for listening. It is so greatly appreciated and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.